0: Raise our hands to the Lord this afternoon. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we get to lift up our hearts and our voices to you, Father. We thank you that you're a good God. Lord, that your love is turned towards us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that you have revealed to us and I open our eyes to understand the mystery that is Jesus Christ. That he is your son who has given his life upon the cross in exchange for our sin. And Lord, we have no reason for boasting. We have no reason for pride except to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. We have no reason to exalt ourselves because of the work that Jesus has done, that he put off the riches and glory of heaven. He exchanged the glory of heaven in order to become like a man and to live a life like we lived, yet without sin, and to bring us to a place where we might walk with you, Father, with freedom from that controlling sin. And so, Lord, we turn our hearts and our affections towards you this afternoon. Lord, we thank you, Father, humbly, Lord, for the amazing work that you've done for us on the cross. Lord, we ask for revelation. We ask that you'd speak to us more clearly. Lord, we ask that you'd show us more purposefully how we can rely on you, how we can trust in you, how we can lean on you. Lord, how we can esteem one another, Father, in a way which brings you glory. We give you all the honor. Father, we lift up all of those being baptized today, Lord Jesus. We thank you that this is a day that you've made for them, Lord. We thank you that this is a day where they get to enter into the waters of baptism with Jesus, to be united with him in his death, and united with him in his resurrection. And Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have brought Him to them all to this place of discipleship. And Lord, we thank you that it's the first day of the rest of their lives, Lord, as they begin to walk free from the, the control of sin, as they begin to walk increasingly as disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would bless them, Father. Lord, you would pour out your glory upon them, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. Fantastic. What do you turn around someone around you, give them the biggest high five and welcome them to a 230 service? Thank you so much to the team for their ministry today. it's wonderful to have all of you here this afternoon. How many of you have come to vi- um, support those your friends who are getting baptized today? Give us a big wave. Let's welcome all of them. Fantastic. It's good to have you here today. And a big welcome to all of you baptism candidates. I, I promised that I wouldn't, but one of our staff members, Sharon, is getting baptized today. It's a very big celebration day for her. And so um, there's a lot of the staff in to to bring a bit of life, life as well with them. Fantastic. I want to just highlight for you, they've still got some copies of the uh, CD-DVD set of on relationships that we did just last month, What's Love Got to Do With It? Had a lot of people requesting these, so they're there for you in the bookshop, and do pop down to visit them and ask them for that. We are bringing this series to an end, this series on mastering your emotions, the beautiful world, or rather renewing the way that we, we think and recognizing that God has given us uh, a beautiful world, a beautiful life, and He's calling us to walk in and enjoy the blessing that he's prepared for us. Just last week, Dudley was talking about how perfect love has cast out fear and really challenged many people to to take that step of facing the unknown and walking free from the control of fear as they press in to the love of God. And this has all been part of a series really focusing on on how we master our emotions according to the way the Lord would would have us walk, and there's um, Colin's book in the bookshop as well, mastering your emotions as part of this series. Now I thought it'd be best for me to preach today because uh, we're talking about the topic um, pride before a fall and I figured that I would be most qualified, humble, humble as I am. But the issue is we, we all have pride to address and we need to consider that right from the outset. Some people have uh, pride in specific areas And so in many areas, there's a humility about them. They're cultivating the character of Christ. But you touch on some sensitive issues, and they begin to get offended because they are proud in that area. And some people are just so proud right across the board that you would almost consider them to be generally proud people. And pride is something that we need to guard against. It doesn't just not happen. We need to protect our hearts and guard our hearts In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, therefore, let him who stand take heed lest he fall. In a sense, he's making a reference to somebody who's putting confidence in themselves and confidence in their own flesh. Just to begin this um, passage, I would like to read to you from Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, I spoke earlier on how pride affects all of us, and one of the most common ways that we would recognize is, is in our relationships, in our friendships. Um, you might be having a discussion with some friends or, or um, talking uh, to loved ones, family members about situations in your life, and, and then perhaps there's a disagreement, something goes wrong, there's, there's a fallout, and one person gets offended and the other person um, is wondering, why this person has got offended, but they want to make things right and so they they try and reach out and have a discussion. What do you need me to apologize for? I don't need you to apologize. Well, I'm trying to make things right. No, 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 I don't need you to apologize. You you've got nothing to say to me. We don't even need to talk about this. We're done. But let's come on, let's let's work with it. Let's try to talk talk this out. No, no, no. I'm okay. You're just trying to make me feel like I'm not okay by telling me you need to apologize to me. And this is progression. And if you take it far enough, you get to the place where you're like, I don't even want to be friends with you anymore. Any of you recognize what I'm talking about? I'm wondering if I'm in a room full of very humble people. I must be the proudest person here. (laughs) Hallelujah. And that's pride at the the very core of it. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to make myself vulnerable to you. I'm not going to put myself in a position where you have control over me because you've had to apologize to me. I'm not. Why? Why should I have to accept your apology? And this pride begins to rise up in us, and it can manifest in that area. It can manifest in areas when pr- people criticize your your looks, or your job, or your your success at your job, or or perhaps the way you do things. And this pride begins to rise up and stir on the inside, and it begins to lash out at people and say, you know, you have no right to to challenge me in this. And really, this area of pride is kind of the opposite. Um, end of the spectrum from fear. Fear is kind of a defensive kind of position, whereas pride is very much an offensive position, and it it brings with it this kind of trying to put other people down as we try to make ourselves look bigger. And so just to clarify, I'm talking about a specific type of pride here, right? The pride that has negative connotations, the pride which seeks to make ourselves look bigger and make other people look smaller. Now, we know very well that there is other types of pride. There's the the pride of a father looking at his son achieving great things in school or in the sports field or looking at their son at the home and saying, I'm proud of the way that you did that. Or being being proud of the way that we appear and and taking the time to to remember that God has created us as we are and and honoring that and, and just taking care of ourselves. So that's a positive side of pride, but I'm talking about maybe perhaps more negative side of pride. Pride arises out of a false perception of ourselves, and really it's the idea of establishing our significance or our self-worth in our environment. Pride will often lead to us um, putting confidence in our own flesh, and we're going to come on to a bit about how that affects us in the arena of sin in specific, but putting confidence in our own flesh, our own gifts, our own ability, our own ability to do something to be successful at it. Proud people genuinely would um, consider that the world owes them something simply by virtue of who they are and what gifts they have. A proud person is perceiving themselves as more important than another. Pride is a difficult thing to put a finger on because we can be completely unaware of it or can be aware and choose to ignore the needs of those around us. And it doesn't just affect those who uh, have a cause to be arrogant or decide to be arrogant. It's not a reflection of our self-perception. Rather, it is available for all to begin to walk in. And therefore, that is why we all need to guard against. Because some people will use pride as a defense mechanism, a shield, to mask some deep insecurity. And other people will use pride in order to elevate themselves above other people. Pride in itself is highly, highly negative and destructive to human relationship. And that's why we want to bring it to the fore today and learn how we can begin to deal with the issues of pride in our hearts and in our minds and begin to walk increasingly in the freedom that God has prepared for us as we walk in humility. Amen? It's one of those, it's a difficult topic to talk about really. Where do we get pride from? Pride begins in the home, and then it begins to be expressed as well in community. And it results from us not getting our needs met in the right, correct fashion. Perhaps in, in, in your early development years, you were taught that uh, your ability to receive uh, love, affirmation, words of affirmation, or, or hugs from your parents, or their quality time, that you would have to perform in order to, to receive those. And there's this sense that we need to do something. We need to perform in order to get our needs met. We need to be the best looking. We need to be the strongest. We need to be the most intelligent and make other people feel like they are less so than us in order to be high performers, in order to receive the love that we're looking for. Begins at the home, but then it begins to progress as we grow older, the second side of pride is is this alienation from the lord when we're alienated from god there is this um, deceit that begins to creep in it's the deceit of sin and perhaps this would be the pride the type of pride that a lot of you would identify with most often people when they've come to find christ and they've come to walk with the lord they'll begin to have a desire i want to walk free from sin I want to walk free from the control of sin. I want to honor God and I want to pursue God with everything that I am. But then there are certain areas in their lives or in their hearts that are off limits to the Lord, so to speak. Perhaps you might be struggling with sexual sin or or, um, reliance on drugs or alcohol, or, or you might have a pride issue, you might have an anger issue, and they become areas that you kind of enclave away from the Lord. And... This is how pride in the area of sin begins to develop. We sin, and God doesn't strike us down. And because God doesn't strike us down, we make an assumption, God, this is absolutely fine. I'm absolutely okay to sin. Or we might make another decision. We might say, God, you know, I really believe that you've given me freedom from sin. I really believe, and I'm going to go that way. But I, I also know that I've got strength. I've got ability myself to, to walk free from this. And so it might be in the area of gambling, if you had a gambling problem, that you go, God, you know what, I can, I can just walk into a gambling hall and not gamble. And I can walk out absolutely fine. Or I can just go out for coffee with somebody who's not my partner, and we might not do something silly. What happens in that situation is there is a confidence in the flesh A pride about your abilities to overcome sin, which gets you into trouble. I can just look, but not touch. I can just go and take somebody else's, uh, say you have a desire for material things. I can just go look at this beautiful object that they have and not desire to steal it. But there's a confidence in the flesh that begins to creep in. And when you begin to walk in this confidence in the flesh again, pride begins to rear its ugly head. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Thirdly, there is this Egyptian mentality, so to speak. Many of us know what the Egypt mentality is because of uh, the scripture that we've read so frequently. And the Egypt mentality is a perception that, that God hasn't done for you what you expected him to do. And it's coupled with a perception that the wicked are getting blessed, and God is not blessing me the way that I expect him to bless me, so I'm going to start to rely on myself. So all three begin to cause pride to operate in our lives. Firstly, seeking to get our needs met in a certain way. Secondly, trusting our flesh in the battle against sin. And thirdly, questioning the relationship that we have with God and his ability to bless us and whether he is actually blessing us or not. Amalachi 3.14 says this, you have said, It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we walk as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up, they even tempt God and go free. Pride is terrible because it really begins to alienate us from the Lord. And pride has consequences. It has consequences which we sometimes don't perceive, but we need to begin to perceive and to avoid. How many of you like it when you see a proud person? None of you? All right, I want you to imagine right where you are, how many of you can think of a proud person right now? Give me a bit of a wave. You can think of a proud person in your life. How much do you enjoy spending time with them? Give me a wave if you enjoy spending more than five hours at a time with them. How many of you would spend more than five minutes at a time with them? How many of you would not like to spend more than five minutes with a proud person? Why is that? Can I ask you why that is? Is it because they are positioning themselves to be better than you? Is it maybe because you perceive that there is a lack of humility in their life? Is it perhaps because you don't like the way that they make you feel about yourself? Any Proud people alienate people and alienate God. When you're proud towards the Lord, you can become unteachable and you can become unresponsive to restoration. Pride can bring you into cyclical patterns of behavior. And it's interesting because the more and more you walk in this idea of how to walk in humility with the Lord, you begin to see the areas of pride manifest in your life and how you need to walk free from them. I would admit, uh, previously, obviously previously, not now because I'm the most humble person in the room, <laughs> but previously, I was a proud man, a very proud man, and it would be the case that I would not um, want to serve anybody, I would not want to bless anybody, in fact, my expectation would be that you would have to bless me and, you know, if there was anything you could do to help me, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, And and so, it it used to be the case that I would walk around and and if there was an opportunity to serve, I wouldn't. I would be looking around, who else is going to serve here? If there was an opportunity to put somebody down with a silly comment, and I would take that opportunity to put somebody down with a silly comment. And you see, the issue was that more and more, I began to look around at my life and think to myself, why is it that people don't like me in certain situations? Why is it that people get offended with me in certain situations? And someone came to me and fed back one day, and they said, you know, sometimes you can come across as you're a bit proud. And you see, the, the thing I realized about pride is you spend so long looking down your nose at people. You know how, long, how you do that. You spend so long, so long looking down your nose at people, you just have no idea what's going on. And then you just suddenly... <laughs> staged, all right? It's okay. Okay. <laughs> Huh? Do it this way. (laughs) And you see, the issue is is pride comes before a fall. We kind of laid a bit of a, a, a slow groundwork to the issue of pride. But pride comes before a fall. And sometimes we can be so busy thinking very highly of ourselves, thinking very much of ourselves, that we begin to forget. A, what's going on around us, but B, lifting ourselves up in such a way that we miss a stumbling block, which is right in front of us, which is about to stumble us. And the thing that I began to find about pride was that when I was struggling with it, with it and wrestling with why people were, certain people were getting offended with me and not is the issue I found missed my point, sorry is that you keep getting put into the same circumstance. And you keep getting into the same situation, and you keep wondering why you get the same stuff out when you put the same stuff in. When you walk around with pride in your heart, when you walk around with a lack of humility, you walk in the constant familiar practice, what happens is the circumstance begins to work against you. And instead of seeing the favor of God begin to break out and people actually uh, being attracted to the person of Christ, and you rather you find that they begin to get offended with you, and you're walking around, you're thinking, "Well, I'm a good Christian. What's going on? Why don't you know?" There's this tension that begins to develop, and you might get to the place where you say, "Hang on, in this this group of people, they just, you know what? They just don't appreciate me. They just, they just don't appreciate me. So what? Well, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to go and hang out with these other people. They'll probably appreciate me some more." but give it a couple of months with you, probably they'll get offended with you if you're walking in pride. But but these people, you know, these people, they don't appreciate it. so I'm gonna go hang out with those people. And you come along to this other group, and in this other group, there's actually somebody that you really like. So you spend some time uh, with that group specifically because there's someone that you like. Maybe it's actually just a friend and you want to become really good friends, or maybe it's someone that you're romantically attracted to. And now in that situation, the pressure cooker's on again, and after a couple of months, um, there's this feedback. Hey, you know what? You're still coming across as though you're, you're proud, and the person that you like that you like is actually getting repelled by you, as opposed to attracted towards you. And in that situation, maybe that might be enough to wake you up. Maybe that might be enough to cause your eyes to open and your ears to become attentive to, hang on, why are people telling me this? Is there an issue going on in my heart? Is there an issue going on in my life? Maybe I need to deal with it. Colin said this to me one time. He was giving me some feedback about um, some conversations that I've had, had with people. And he said to me, listen, Gabriel, um, perhaps you need to consider that style of conversation, the confrontational style of conversation which I love to be involved in. Um, He said to me, you might need to think about the way you do that, because you can come across as a bit aggressive when you have that type of a conversation. And if you're not careful, the circumstances will keep rising against you until you deal with that in your heart with the Lord. And I thought to myself, actually, if I look back on some of the situations which have happened previously, I can recognize exactly what you're talking about, Colin. So if there's something that God needs to do in my heart, I'm willing to bring my heart before before the Lord and say, God, I need you to help me with this. That's what I mean by a circumstance continually coming about to bring you to a place where you need to deal with it. And that's what happens essentially with pride. Now, if we do not deal with pride, if we do not begin to address the haughty attitudes of our heart and bring them before God, then the circumstances will continue to rise against us. And I guarantee where you'll end up if you don't deal with it. This Christian business, too hard. Can't do it. It's, it's too, too tough. You know, I'm trying my hardest, um, but I just can't, I can't walk free from sin. And all the Christians, you know, they're supposed to look up to me. I've been 50 years a Christian already. And why aren't they looking up to me? They've, they're not respecting you because you're walking with pride. You're walking with arrogance in your heart. See, this is the issue that begins to develop with this area. And it can lead you to the place of questioning God. God, why aren't you blessing me? God, why aren't you pouring out your grace on me? The Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Amen? And if we are in a place where we're, God, why do you keep holding the, putting the bars across heaven? Why do you keep resisting to bless me? And you're walking with pride in your heart? Let me consider, considerately challenge you in the most confrontational way I know how. Be humble. That wasn't the most confrontational way, but... It's the most sensitive way from the platform, amen? If you don't soften your heart by choice, your circumstances will. And pride, when it begins to operate in the heart of men or women, leads to broken relationship, leads to broken relationship with God, broken relationship with our family, and it can inhibit the blessing of, or destiny that God has prepared for us because we refuse to deal with the issue. It can lead you to feeling like you're immortal. It can lead you to feeling like there are no consequences for your action. It can lead you to the place of a spirit of entitlement, knowing or believing that everything is due to you simply because you are who you are. How do we begin to expose this pride? In Habakkuk 2 verse 4, it says, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Pride is often a massive, massive blind spot for people. Pride is often something that we do not perceive operating in our hearts and in our lives. It's a spiritual condition which cannot be perceived. And most of us would say this, I'm not proud, simply because Scripture says that we shouldn't be proud. But pride is brought into contrast when we consider ourselves relative to God. The verse that I read at the start was to consider Christ, consider him who is the glorious one, the Lord of all creation, the, the maker of heaven and the earth, the one through whom and by whom everything was made, and yet he put off the riches and glory of heaven and took on the form of a man, and even more than that, humbled himself to take on death in order to buy us back our freedom and become, uh, bring, uh, give us the opportunities to become new creations in Christ Jesus. When we begin to consider ourselves against that scale, I've got a right to have my iPhone. I've got a right to have my Samsung S3, or whatever it is. I've got a right to have the latest iPad mini, or a right to have an iPad, or a right to have that other half-size iPad. Not the mini one, but the other. I've forgotten all the names. I don't follow that kind of stuff too, too much. I've got a right to, for people to respect me. I've got a right for people to, to look up to me. As I've got a right to demand that people serve me. When we consider that against the Lord of all creation who took on the form of a man and humbled himself even to the point of death, then we need to consider carefully the pride that we carry in our hearts. And the biggest demonstration of pride is this, to say that God doesn't exist. The fool has said in his heart that God is not real. The second biggest demonstration of pride is that we don't need him if we agree that he does exist. And this becomes a place where it begins to challenge us personally. Because I can guarantee you, all of the areas that you're struggling with right now, all of the areas that you're really wrestling with are because of an an unreliance on the Lord in this area a pride, I can do it myself in this area. Looking at a room full of, well, there is a lot of guys here, I can say this, that one of the main struggles that guys have is with the whole area of sexual sin. Because there's a fundamental belief that God cannot meet that need up until you're married. And a fundamental belief that God cannot meet, uh, keep you pure and loyal to your wife when you're in marriage. And so there is a lack of, allowing the Lord into that area of your life. There is a pride in operation in that area. Or it can be with with ladies when it comes to specific areas of of self-esteem. In a sense, there is an unwillingness to let the Lord in to begin to speak of his view for you, his passion for you. And in a sense, it, it comes from a pride position. You could go out to the street today and you could talk to a homeless person who perhaps we might consider is one of the most struggling in terms of society at the moment and offer them help, and they'll come back to you, no, no, I don't need your help. I don't need your food, I don't need your money, I don't want anything from you, because there's a pride keeping people at distance. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we begin to recognize that, A, the biggest pride that we've overcome, which all of you have, in Jesus' name, I hope, recognize that God is real and God is operating in your life, then you've overcome a massive pride, and so any other pride you can begin to overcome as well. Amen? But then the second issue is this, is that where there is an area, a stronghold of operation in your life where you refuse to allow God in and and refuse to trust in Him, then that is a pride, again, that is operating, and that is something that you need to begin to deal with. How do we begin to reveal this? First, we need to come to His Word and consider His Word. James uh, 6 says that verse that I quoted earlier. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We've got to understand that God has revealed enough in his word for us to begin to come to terms with how we walk in humility. He's given us enough revelation about who we are and who he is that we should be able to correctively begin to walk in increasing revelation of that. And walk in the humility he calls us to and push aside the things of pride. So the first thing that I will challenge you with is that God is God and you are not. Amen. God is perfect in knowledge, but we can only live in our current perceptions while he has all perfect knowledge. With our power, such as we have, we can only affect our circumstances so much, but he is the Lord of the mountains that are standing in our way. When it comes to purpose, our agenda is so often self-centered, whereas God and his agenda is Christ-centered. Now this isn't, I'm not saying those things in order to remind you of the powerful God who has come to disempower you and make you feel worthless. I'm saying that about God so we begin to get the correct perspective. God is God. And we are created. God is perfect. We are imperfect. But the call of God on our lives is not to remember our imperfections. The call of God on our lives is to understand the true power which God calls us to live in, and that is love expressed through humility towards one another. True riches in life are not the things that you own. They're not the position that you assume for yourself. They're not the material things that you possess. True riches in life are in the legacy of experiencing one another, walking in relationship with one another. God is God, and you are not. Number two, pride is a heart agenda which you can surrender. You can lay down your pride, and you need to choose to lay down your pride in order to walk in increasing freedom. Much like the people who are being being here baptized today, they are choosing to lay down their reliance on themselves for the forgiveness of sin, in this expression, and they are choosing to be united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. There is a laying down of pride and a humbling. They go through a process where somebody else dunks them in the water, somebody else brings them up, but God does a spiritual operation on the inside, which brings them into a place of increasing freedom. Pride is a heart agenda which you can surrender. They're taking the first step. Many of you will have also been on that yourself, on that journey yourself. How do we correct this issue of pride? Thirdly, we see ourselves and others as God sees us. And this is where I want to begin to explore this whole area of humility. Because pride will lead us to a place where we fall whereas humility will lead us to a place where we can be elevated by the Lord. And for us to begin to walk in humility, for us to begin to walk effectively in humility, the first thing that we need to ask the Lord for is that he would give us good sight. Sight to see as Jesus sees. Starting to see people as God sees them, starting to honor them as God sees them. We remember that we covered... um, just earlier on, that that we need to have a correct view of God. Secondly, we need to have a correct view of ourselves. That was the message beautifully and wonderfully made. But now we come to this area, the correct view of others. And in Philippians two, verse one through four, just previous to the passage I've read to you, it says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is where I just want to quickly bring in a, um, you know when you go on a a road or a, um, if you were to drive in the Alps, perhaps, and you see those crazy curving roads that they have. And when you come to the curve in the road, there's a big barrier that covers around. Or on the motorways, perhaps, you see a big barrier that in the middle of the motorway keeps you from crossing into the other side. You know what I'm talking about. I want to bring that about this area. When we are talking about giving up pride and taking on humility, we need a barrier that reflects to us what false humility is, so that we can begin to walk in true humility. And the issue is, is that so many people make an error. They're seeking humbly to walk before the Lord, and so they begin to put on false humility as opposed to pride. And they've missed the truth of humility, which God calls us to walk in. And it's misapplication of verses like this: "Let nothing be done to, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself." Sometimes we can do this with all good intention. Sometimes we can desire earnestly to be walking free from pride. But the issue is, this subtle deception can cause us to miss out on the freedom that God intends for us in humility. And it lies in the false assumption that in order to minister to the needs of another, we must become less in order to make them feel greater in material terms. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. If you have a degree of intelligence, loneliness of mind is not pretending to be stupid when you're around people that have less intelligence than you. If you're good-looking, loneliness of mind is not... Thanks, but glory to God, glory to God. It's all him, it's all him. Um, But inside you're thinking, I know I am. (laughs) I am the apple of his eye, aren't I? Look, he poured out all his blessings when he made me. False humility is when you have money, pretending that you're really in poverty or shielding from others how much you are able to spend but then when you're on your own spending all your money and being able to spend all your money it's a false humility because what we do is you know, you carry around, basically carry around two wallets, one with the 10 pound coins in, the, in it and the other one with the platinum credit card in it <laughs> and you're just like, okay, these people they can take this, you know, just the 10 pounds but these, these people, oh, I need to bring out the, the black card, I've got the black card no, only 50 people in the world have the black card I've got one of them, do you know what I mean? and we we put on this pretence. You see the issue is when we set up a, a series of constructed or assumed behaviors when we're around certain people in order to act humble, what people begin to smell on you is hypocrisy. And it's most evident when you begin to observe you in public and you in private. You in public might have um, a very, very uh, pleasing presentation, which everybody walks around. Oh, oh, you know that person; they are just the epitome of Christ-likeness. But when you get into a small group, they're swearing, they're talking badly about people behind their back, they're spending their money on all kinds of vices that they shouldn't really be spending their money on. It's in that discrepancy that you begin to see false humility hypocrisy, and it stings. And the issue with that is this, that false humility dishonors God. In our attempt to put off pride and ending up putting on false humility, we get into a position where we dishonor God. Why? Because if you have intelligence, God has blessed you with it. He doesn't require you to pretend you're stupid. If God has given you uh, Physical prowess, in a a sense. If you are a Usain Bolt sprinter, you know there's only one, that's why he shows off every time. But for him to say that he's not the fastest man in the world would be dishonoring the gift that God has given him. For somebody that has worked hard all of their life and is now in a job where they're earning well, for them to pretend poverty in front of somebody else does not honor him. Now, of course, you can choose to lay down your riches and sell everything you have in order to pursue Christ. That would be a good and godly thing if the Holy Spirit led you to do it. But for you to do it as an act of piousness in front of other people is a false humility. And what you begin to do by dishonoring God in this way is, firstly, dishonoring the gifts that he's given to you, and secondly, removing the opportunity to give him glory. God has blessed you and put his glory in you for the purpose of being able to glorify him through your life. And so when you begin to, oh, no, no, I haven't got that gift, and no, I can't do this, and no, I can't do that, and, you know, I'm not that, and I'm not this, and we begin to pretend like we, as a Christian, we can't express ourselves in the giftings and ways that God has given us, then we refuse to give God glory. That's false humility. And I wanted to bring that so that we can begin to consider what true humility is, and how our actions should line up to true humility. Romans 12, verse 6 through 8, says something simple to those of you who might think that we need to pretend that we have nothing in order to be good Christians. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let's prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. All of the gifts that God has placed in you, he calls you to use them. They are a measure of his grace in your life. And you can begin to extend that list. Paul has given us a certain perspective, but you can extend that list. Say you're creative sitting here in the church today, you are gifted in art or gifted in dancing. You don't put aside the art or the dancing because you've now become a Christian. You use the art or the dancing to glorify God through the expression of your gifts. If you are great as an accountant, then you keep crunching those numbers as if you're giving glory to God. Hallelujah. And the rest of us will look on you thinking, thank God that they can glorify God in that area. Because I wouldn't be able to. But they have a gifting in order to be able to do that. Amen? First, recognize the grace that has been revealed to us in Christ, and let's use the gifts that he gives us. Second, as we begin to walk in that way and operate in the gifts that he's given us, remember the people that God has placed around you, that they are as much blood-bought as you are. You're bought by the blood of Jesus, they're bought by the blood of Jesus. The The analogy is that they are worth as much as you are in the sight of God recognize that when you're walking around amongst the people, especially in the church, the best place to learn, so that when we go to the world, we can practice loving those that we would deem to be less lovable. If God can love the person next to you, he can love anybody in the world. Amen? Look at that that and tell them. Hallelujah. If God can love you, then we can love anybody in the world. (laughs) But it's so true. We sometimes forget how much God actually loves us. When we were lost in sin, he still loved us. And this is where we begin to express true humility in this aspect. That the people around us who are blood-bought by the Son of God have a right to have their true needs met by you. When we read that verse earlier, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each other each esteem others better than himself, look each of you not out for his own interests only, but also for the interests of others. What he's saying there is you who are able to express true humility, begin to meet the need of those around you with the gift that God has placed in you, and consider that their need is more important at this point in time than your need. So it's not doing yourself down, it's not debasing yourself, it's recognizing what god has put in you but choosing to meet the need of another in priority over your own in this situation let me try and think of an example for you perhaps you walk in a great degree of self confidence or just confidence assurance there has never been a, a self esteem issue in you you know who god has created you to be and you come across somebody who has just had a particularly bad breakup for example And they're in a place now where their self esteem has been compounded, the negative self esteem has been compounded by the situation. Now you have one of two options, well, one of three options. You can just be like, sorry person, I don't want to speak to you. What are you talking about? You can be like, God bless you, you know, I pray for you. See you later. So one is just completely ignoring, the second is kind of putting a plaster on and see you later. The third is this, the person has a need. The need is to know that they are significant, that they have self-worth, that they are somebody in the sight of God. Now that need is something that you can help them with as somebody that has never had that as an issue. Or perhaps you might want to say that somebody who's come through that issue themselves might be better positioned than somebody who's never had that issue. But what they can start to do is speak to the true need that person has for significance and self-worth. Can I tell you who God, Jesus says you are? Can I let you know how precious you are in the sight of God? Can I let you know how, how much Jesus loves you, that he gave his life on the cross for you? Can I let you know that, that you're beautifully and wonderfully made? Amen. Hallelujah. Colleen, And indeed you are. But as you begin to bring your strength to help meet their true need, you are operating in true humility. Have you ever thought of it like that? Whenever you have an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody around you, whenever you have an opportunity, someone comes to you and says, I know that you are good at this, and you enable them in that situation and meet the need that they have, then you're operating in humility because you're not doing this whole false humility thing and you're not being too proud to help them, you're being there and enabling them to make their way through their situation. And one of the most powerful ways that you can begin to cultivate this humility is by serving. Let me tell you, all of these wonderful welcome team and stewarding team and baptism teams and everybody that's involved in a service and all the tech guys sitting upstairs and everybody is on the path, all of those members are on the path of learning how to serve. And if you went to them and said to them, how did you feel when I ignored you today when you smiled at me and welcomed me to the church? They'll tell you. (laughs) It was particularly painful. I would have liked to have a smile back and maybe see how your day was. But you, you didn't want to respond to that. But you see that they're learning in the practice of that how to walk in humility because they're here to meet your needs. They need to be served well while you're in your seats. They need to be welcomed into the church. They need to feel part of part of the service. The need for, for you to be provided with an excellent uh, presentation of the gospel or, or worship time. They're aiming and, and seeking to meet your need. And so they're learning how to walk in this attitude of humility through serving. All of us would do well to learn how to serve. Because when we begin to learn how to serve, we begin to walk increasingly and the humility that Christ would have us walk in. One of the amazing things is to consider the people that are serving on the team. Many we wouldn't even think about, what what are they doing serving me, if we knew who they were? But they choose to lower themselves and take that position in order to meet our needs. It's fantastic. I have a thought for you, just to wrap it up. I've had many thoughts for you today, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry, but... (laughs) How do we help proud people? It's an interesting question for you. Let me first start off with this verse, and I've learned this very well over the years. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you're trying to help proud people, the way that you help proud people is not to get angry at them. Because A, you're not teaching them the righteousness of God, and B, you probably never get to talk to them again anyway. The second is when proud people are around, you help them most by walking in the humility of Christ without reservation. Ah, but you know, this proud person, they're probably going to take advantage of me. You know, and they're probably going to look down on me as if I have to serve them because of who they think they are. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. They're just too proud. Who do they think they are? I'm not going to serve them. The only way that you'll win them round is by loving them right, by living the life that Christ lives. Because, you see, loving service exposes pride. Loving service melts the heart of those people who are walking in pride in ways that you otherwise couldn't. So first, don't get angry. It doesn't help. Second, continue to walk in the loving Christ-likeness that he is calling you to, and thirdly, when you get an opportunity, speak the truth from the perspective of love. Do you know what? I would just like to feed back to you. I've been serving in this house and noticed you coming in, or I've been working in this office for so long, or I've been cooking the dinner at home, and you've never once thanked me for it. You've never once appreciated it, and I just wanted to let you know that. You heard the tone in which I said that. Not, you never, you never appreciate me, you never recognize what I'm doing, you come into the church, who You know, not any of that. I'd just like you to give you some feedback. I've been here consistent, and I've not felt appreciation from you. That quiet word, the loving word spoken in truth, will pierce to the heart of that proud person, and you'll see a change begin, begin to come about immediately. Amen? So in summary, we've reviewed pride, we've seen the areas that it begins to affect us, and one of the worst for you that are seeking to overcome sin is to continue to put trust in your flesh. The consequences of pride is that we will always stumble and always fall, and the circumstances will keep rising against us unless we deal with this issue and other heart issues that we have. And when you fall, you can either carry on broken. See, pride is brokenness. Or you can get up humbled and walk with the Lord and clothe yourself with the humility of Christ and see him begin to operate through you in a way which transforms the lives of those around you, as you clothe yourself in that true humility. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, this afternoon, Lord, that you would begin to deal with our hearts, Lord. Lord, where pride has been highlighted for us today as an issue, Lord, we begin to ask, Lord, that you would highlight that to us. Cause that blind spot to become a a, a wildly apparent spot. That we begin to see the areas that we've had arrogance and pride in our hearts towards our loved ones, towards the ones at work, towards the members of the cells and the members of the church. Where we've carried a haughty attitude and and said, look at that Christian. How can they say they're a Christian with the way they're behaving? Where we've carried those kind of attitudes in our heart, Lord, we begin to lay them down before you. And we begin to recognize that every single person here is bought by the blood of Jesus. Every single person here is on a journey unto Christ-likeness. They might be at different stages. But we begin to recognize that we personally need to lay that down before God. And we need to surrender that pride that says that God is not real and that God is not available to op- able to operate in our lives. We choose to trust you, God. We choose to recognize you. We choose to honor you. We choose to recognize the work of Christ on the cross. And therefore, we choose to take up a, a position of humility, finding the low place, that we might see you. And Lord, we remember that you elevate those that take the place of humility. That like Joseph who found himself in in a prison, you raised him and elevated him right to the top of Egypt. Lord, that you would do the same in our hearts as we begin to recognize that you call us to true humility. And we surrender our need to maintain our position through our ability. We did not get to being where we are in our jobs by our own ability, but by your grace. And the only one that will keep us there is you by your grace. And the only one that will elevate us is you by your grace. Not our boss, not our work rate, not our abilities, but you. And so we give our gifts into your hands, our abilities, our work rate. We give all of that over to you and recognize that you are the one that will elevate us when it is due time. But in the meantime, we want to put on that which is most precious, the humble, humble, spirit of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.